welcome to Backstories and Side Quests. I have a little bit of housekeeping that we need to take care of right off the bat. Um, so I am going to be taking a short break from recording these podcasts. I They're a lot of work and I need to get caught up on my writing so we can actually finish this story. Um, but I will be back in six weeks, which puts the next official full episode on August 6th. And in between now and then, besides writing, I might try to get a little bonus episode to you guys. Um, maybe, maybe, cross your fingers, we'll be lucky enough to talk to the people that actually play some of these characters. Uh, and so that might be fun. Uh, also, if you are liking what you're hearing uh, so far, please tell a friend, write a review. Um, that, you know, those make me so happy when I read those. And and, you know, I'm pretty sure I know who is still listening to these. So, um, you know, Hanson, write me a review. Or Cassie. Cassie, are you still listening to these? Yeah, write, write me a review. Tell people. Make me feel good about myself. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's all the housekeeping that I need to take care of. So let's jump into the recap. Um, episode... Five is when Travok uh, got the Ring of Mind shielding and he, you know, kind of got a leg up on a thrall and all that. Um, and then right after that, uh, the whole group went to go have their diplomatic meeting with the Metallic Dragons and uh, tried to earn their support. And they did with a few conditions. Um, one of those conditions, and probably the only one that you actually need to be aware of, is that um, the group promised to retrieve a dagger stolen from one of the dragons by another human. And um, Serafina uh, is vague about um, her vision, but she has seen this dagger uh, in a vision given to her by her patron goddess, Setanine. And so, you know, Serafina was all for finding this. And Rin also offered up her services to... um, help find the dagger via her kind of more shadowy resources. Um, and then after the diplomatic mission, the group returned to Waterdeep, the big ma- major city, and uh, did one of the big council meetings where they decide how to use their new resources and talk about, you know, strategy and all that other stuff. Um, and, you know, they also discussed the cult's progress and got assignments, you know, big strategy Avengers meeting. Uh, The group got several new missions that they needed to take care of. And they also got a letter from uh, a dragon cultist wizard person saying that they want to leave the cult and are willing to trade information um, and artifacts for protection. So the group left to go, you know, get that wizard and on the way there, right before they're about to leave the city, uh, Rin looks over and sees one of Rita's children trying to flag her down before they jump in their magic portal to go wherever. wherever. And so Rin, you know, rushes over there real quick. And, um, you know, it's one of Rita's daughters and she's telling her that there is someone scary at the house and Mama told her to come get Rin as soon as possible. And... 
That's where I'm leaving the recap, and let's jump into the story. As she sat in a perfectly comfortable tavern, in a perfectly quaint town, with perfectly nice people, Ren stared at her companions and wondered if it was possible to be both profoundly grateful to someone and despise them at the same time. Well, that wasn't fair, Ren thought to herself. She didn't despise them. In fact, she was dangerously close to calling all four of them friends. Even Travok, who openly disliked her, Rin found herself warming to. Under normal circumstances, Rin would have been finding little ways to tease the dwarf, maybe looking over his shoulder and reading aloud from the book he was so studiously hunched over, maybe singing Big Titty Liddy under her breath until he grimaced and turned away. Under normal circumstances, she would have been finding ways to have fun, but these weren't normal circumstances. She wanted to be a million miles away, doing what she did best. She wanted to be finding the man that had left her best friend, her sister, her mother, beaten and bloodied on the floor, and stolen on her. Whenever she looked across the table and saw Varus, Rin heard his insistence that the company press forward with their pre-selected tasks. Whenever she saw Serafina, Rin saw her bent over Rita on the floor. Whenever Ren saw Brenora, she heard her kicking down Ren's bedroom door and starting that whole horrible, hopeless fight. And whenever she looked at Travok, she could hear the smug little bastard slowly and patiently explaining to her, like she was some brain-damaged child, that they couldn't do anything about it now. The best choice was to let the Harpers handle this and continue on with their mission. She smiled at the memory of her response. Why, thank you, Chervak, she growled at him while staring into his eyes. Your calm and logical tone is so reassuring in my time of emotional distress. Then she flicked him as hard as she could in the middle of his forehead. As she stalked away from the group to run fingers through her hair and gather her thoughts, she knew she was being childish, but she didn't care. She felt like a child, a child whose home had just been burnt to the ground by the very man she feared most in the world. The feeling that someone had said her name more than once called Ren's thoughts back to the present. Sorry, she said. What did you say? Travok looked up from his book long enough to roll his eyes. I asked what you learned from her, Vars said with a nod towards the woman at the bar. She was short, and on the curvy side of round, with a dusting of freckles across her nose and hair the color of faded straw. She was pretty enough, Ren thought in a salt-of-the-earth sort of way. Instead of answering Varus, Ren made a quick grab for the book Trabok was reading. Give that back, he demanded in a harsh whisper, but Ren held it just out of his reach. Just wanted to see what you're reading, Ren said, leaning back a little farther in her chair. Geralt's Guide to Lucid Dreaming and Psychic Warfare. Sounds almost too interesting for you, Trabok, she said as she placed the book back on the table and pinned it in place with her splayed fingers. It's rude to read at the table, Wren said, giving the wizard her best glare. Either be here for this conversation, or go find a different table to roll your eyes at me from. But you don't get to do both. Not today. Children, came the calm, melodic, authoritative voice of Brenora. The two syllables were more effective than any speech. Wren gave an eye roll of her own and pushed the book back towards Travok, who chose to put it away instead of continuing with his reading. I learned a lot, actually, Wren said, as if nothing had happened. 
I learned that that barmaid doesn't cook from a recipe. I learned the only interesting thing about this town is that tower that was made by that wizard, whose name escapes me. Apparently, the wizard liked toying with reality. I learned that they don't give tours of said tower because everyone who crosses the gate is never heard from again. And, Ren said, pointing to the back of the only other man hunched at the bar, I learned that that man is drunk and has seen something interesting. Something interesting, Trebok asked. Something like what? Something like something, Rin snapped. I was going to go talk to him, but I came back here first to come up with a plan and to eat and to rest, because I don't know if you remember or not, but I almost died a few hours ago. But since you're so eager to go find out what the drunk has to offer, why don't you go have a crack at him? Trebok held her gaze, but he didn't glare. There wasn't the malice and annoyance there Rin had expected. Instead, there was a gentle kindness mixed with pity in his eyes. Trebok blinked first. He looked down and quietly said, I'll go see what I can do, and then got up and left without another word. Wren put her chin in her hand and started to push at her soup with her spoon without any real interest in eating it. Serafina leaned across the table and tentatively asked, Are you okay? Fine. Rin said, dropping her spoon back into her bowl and pushing her chair away from the table. Excuse me, she said. I need to go visit the necessaries. She left the table without another word to go outside and lean against the wall of the tavern. Didn't they understand, she thought as she squinted in the bright outside light, that being kind was so much worse than being indifferent. Why wouldn't they just let her be mad? If she was mad at them, she didn't have to think about Honor or Rita or Nazelle. If she was mad, she didn't have to remember how powerless and scared Honor looked tied up on that floor. She didn't have to remember the panic that filled his eyes when they both realized she couldn't cut his bonds. If she was mad, she didn't have to remember him as a chubby-cheeked toddler, or sweet little boy who begged his mother to keep a stray kitten, or the boy that had teased and trusted her for most of his life. Wren felt tears prick at the corner of her eyes and felt a lump start to form in the back of her throat. No, you don't, she whispered to herself, tipping her head back so the tears wouldn't fall and tried to regulate her breathing. She wasn't going to cry. Not here. Not now. This was a job. And there was no crying on a job. But even as she fought against the current, she could feel her mind being pulled downstream. She was remembering that horrible night. The night that had only been last night, but now felt like it had been every night of her life. Wren remembered running up the stairs to her room, screaming for Rita and Honor, all subtlety and stealth driven from her by the absolute terror of seeing that contract, her contract, pinned to the front door. She could see her room in her mind's eye now, Nazelle sitting on her bed, cast in shadow, Rita and Honor beaten and tied in different corners. Wren had tried to talk with him, tried to reason, but then Bernora had kicked down the door and it had been all downhill from there. Nazelle's face had melted, had changed from a man to that thing, that jackal. What had Leosin called him? An Arkenloth? She remembered begging everyone to stop, to talk, to put down their weapons. She remembered shielding Honor with her body, as the power tore through her, drying her mouth and pulling the air from her lungs. And then that horrible moment when Nazelle had reached out and touched Honor, 
for a brief moment, Honor's eyes met hers, searching and scared, begging her for help, begging anyone for help. Then they were gone. They were both just gone. Gone to who knows where, and Wren could not do anything to stop it. Nothing to make it right. We'll get him, Vars promised her a few seconds later as he cradled Rita's unconscious body in his arms in the street just beneath her destroyed window. This will not go unavenged. We will find him and make him pay. Like I give a damn about vengeance, Wren had shrieked. He has honor. The only thing that matters is getting him back. Wren now knew those words were a lie. If she could, she would have reached across the miles between them and squeezed the air out of Nazelle right now. She would have watched the life leave his eyes, spit on his face, and then smile as she let his body drop to the floor. Yes, she wouldn't turn down a chance at vengeance, but not at the expense of Honor's life. Both Varus and Trebok had tried to reason with her, tried to explain to her why they needed to push forward, but in the end, all that had earned them was a well-deserved flick to Trebok's forehead. Rin walked away from them, running her fingers through her hair, looking up at the night sky and counting her breaths. In, one, two, three, four, hold, one, two, three, four. After a few cycles, she returned to the group with her list of demands. Before we leave town, Rin said, a few things need to happen. Anything, Serafina said, voice full of kind sincerity. First, I need to speak to the girl that originally hired me to get that necklace and see if she knows more than she's telling. Everyone nodded in agreement. Next, Rita needs medical attention. Of course, Farah said. We'll take her. And third, Rin interrupted. I'm not letting Rita and the children stay here. Not after this. We need to find them somewhere secure to stay. The group fell silent. That will be expensive, Serafina finally said. We have the coin, Wren replied, undeterred. How many children does she have? Varus asked. Twelve, Wren said without blinking. Twelve? Trevok asked in a surprised choke. Twelve, Wren replied in a flat tone through clenched teeth. Wren, Varus began in a soft, kind voice. That is a lot of people. Our resources are not unlimited. Wren let out a small, indignant laugh. We just spent the better part of this day in a council room that's bigger than their whole house, she shouted with a wave of her hand. And most of the homes of the people in that room are bigger than this whole block. Stars and stones, you know a wizard whose tower is literally bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Have a magic them up a set of rooms. In her peripheral vision, Rin saw candles in the window start to appear, and curtains start to twitch, as the neighbors' curiosity overpowered their fear. Rin stepped as close to Varus as she could while still keeping his eye contact. I signed your stupid little contract, she said in a voice made out of steady anger. I agreed to join you on this quest. If I read that piece of paper correctly, by signing it, I became something akin to a freeholding lord, which means... This neighborhood is my kingdom. That unconscious woman in your arms is a member of the royal family. And that boy that just disappeared is a prince who was just kidnapped by a hostile entity. Act accordingly. 
They held each other's gaze for a long few seconds. Wren's was made out of all the fury that normally coursed through Varus in battle, but Varus's eyes held no rage. Instead, he looked pleading and pitying, scared and sad, not of Wren, but for her. Finally, Seraphina stepped between them, putting a hand on Varus's chest and turning to face Wren. We'll make sure they're taken care of, she said. Good, Wren said, as she turned on her heel and started to walk toward the widow Chance house. Where are you going? Seraphina called after her. To get the children, Wren yelled over her shoulder. The widow Chant had never liked Wren much. What happened? were the first words out of her mouth when she answered Wren's knock. Hello, Chant, Wren said, trying to keep a level head. Can you send the children out, please? I just saw a man jump out your window, Chant said without moving. Wren pushed her way past the woman and into the house. Faith, Wren called out. Faith, get the children, it's time to go. Don't ignore me, Milkskin, the widow followed her, nipping at her heels like a small territorial dog. I had to watch these eleven children with no explanation. Then I see you and four strangers go tearing through the front door, hear all manner of commotion and noise, and then a man the size of a house jumps out the front window, and I'm just supposed to let you walk into my home and take the children and leave? Wren found Faith with Glory sitting on her lap in the kitchen, with the other children scattered across the room. Faith, Wren said, addressing the older girl and ignoring the woman fuming behind her. Could you help me get everyone out the door? It's time to go. Is Mama okay? Faith asked, sitting in that kitchen, with a child on her lap, looking at Wren with her big red eyes. Faith looked so much like her mother, and it took everything in Wren not to start sobbing on the spot. She'll be fine, but we need to leave. Faith got up and started gathering up her siblings with the efficiency known to all older children. Soon, everyone was filing past the two adults and out the front door. Wren stopped to pick up Life, the youngest of Rita's children, at two years old. When she stood back up, Chant was standing directly in front of her with her hands on her hips. I always told Rita that no good would come from taking you in, she said in a tone of satisfied scolding. Stray cats and strangers have no place in a home, and you're a bit of both. Yeah, Wren said as she took a step forward. She had the satisfaction of seeing the other woman flinch back. Well, I've always told her that there was no use talking to a gossipy old hag like you. But she still did, didn't she? Guess she isn't a very good listener. Wren, Faith's clear voice was unusually timid. She was standing in the door, holding Choice and Virtue's hands. I'm coming, Wren said, straightening up and trying to sound pleasant. Have everyone grab two pairs of clothes she told Faith once they were out the door and moving towards their house. They can take whatever they like, but they can only take as much as they can carry, and we need to be fast. I hate her, Faith said as she looked back over her shoulder. Yeah, she's not my favorite person either, Wren said, draping a hand around Faith's shoulders. We need to leave in ten minutes. Can you make that happen? I think so, Faith said with some hesitation. Who are they? she asked, with a nod towards the front of the street. Wren saw that Serafina and Varus had left and taken Rita with them. Bernora and Travok had stayed behind, though. Both stood waiting on either side of the door. Faith, this is Travok Dresden of Durnder, and this is Her Majesty, Bernora Holderheck, Queen of Durnder. They're friends, Wren said by way of introduction. 
Guys, this is Faith, my sister, Faith cut in, or niece, whichever one you like. Then turning back to Wren, she asked, do I curtsy? Wren let out a scoff and brought up a hand to hide her eyes, which had started to water at the casual way Faith had claimed her as family. Bernora gave a little squint of her own eyes at Wren and then turned to Faith and said, your sister in adversity seems to have neither patience or manners. You, however, seem to be a woman of quality. And with the longest and most courtly speech Rin had ever heard the dwarf make, Queen Brunora Holderheck inclined her head to the young tiefling girl. Enough of that, Rin said, not wanting shock to settle too firmly over the group. Faith, get inside and have everyone hurry up, and have integrity and wisdom pack a bag for life and virtue. Once Faith was inside, Brunora said to Rin in a low voice, they took her to Blackstaff's tower. Neosin will probably agree to house them. We thought it best to send them ahead of us. We didn't want the children to see their mother like that. Thank you, Rin said, once again scrunching up her face against the warring emotions inside her. Gratitude to these people for taking such precautions to preserve these children's childhood. Anger for having to be forced to leave them here like this. And of course, fear. Fear for honor fear for Rita, fear for herself. I, Rin started to say, but was cut off by the door banging open, an integrity and wisdom bounding outside, followed by the twins' joy and love. Is it true you're a queen? Integrity asked as he ran up to Brunora without preamble. You too, Rin snapped, pointing at integrity and wisdom, are supposed to be helping the younger ones pack. Already done, Integrity said to Rin, and then immediately turned back to Brunora. It's all here, Wisdom called as she threw a small sack at Wren, which Wren thought did not feel nearly heavy enough to have all the clothes and physical needs of four children. Do you live in a castle and go to balls and feasts? Wisdom was asking, and all four children leaned in waiting for an answer. Renora looked up and seemed to consider for a moment and then said, I have been to a few dances in my time. Then she bent closer to the waiting ears and said, but slaying dragons is far more exciting. A collective gasp went through the small group, followed by silence and then an explosions of questions and exclamations. As Wren stood there and watched the Queen of Durandur entertain children with smiles and short yes or no answers, she felt a presence beside her and heard Travox say, If they've forgotten anything, we can always send for it later. Wren turned to face him her blank stare meeting his kind, steady eyes. Like you said, he continued, we have the resources. They each stared at each other for a moment. Wren thought he wanted to say something, to ask something, but he wasn't like her. He didn't have the gift for coming up with the right words to say in the right moment, and their moment was soon lost when a small hand tugged at Trevok's cloak. Are you a prince? Victory asked as he held Glory's hand and looked up at Trevok with wide, purple eyes. Even in the dimming light, Wren could see the wizard blush at the question and all it implied. Wren suppressed a giggle as Trevok drew himself a little straighter and said, No, but I am a wizard. Victory and Glory shrieked in unison, You can do magic! Which caught the attention of Dream and Choice, and soon, a small crowd of four children, between the ages of four and six, were all clustered around the wizard, demanding marvels and wonders. 
Travok dropped to one knee and pulled a small coin from his pouch. Suddenly the coin started to glow with bright blue light. The children gasped and clapped. Even Ren let out a smile. He started to roll the coin over his knuckles and between his fingers, surprising Ren and hypnotizing the children. Deftly, he flipped the coin over his pointer finger and caught it between his thumb and finger. Then he leaned forward and gently placed it behind Glory's ear, hiding it in her dark ringlets. The other three oohed and awed. She looks like an angel, Ren thought as she looked at the little girl with the glowing hair and eyes filled with light and amazement. I'm a magical princess, she shouted. After that, all three of the younger children were demanding magical coins of their own, which Travok gave them, each with a different color. This way, he said, straightening, we can keep better track of them in the dark. Smart, Rin said, with genuine admiration. How is it you can do coin tricks with the skill of a pickpocket, but if you're hiding in a library, you end up tripping over the only table left out in plain sight? Travok's spine got even straighter his shoulders set, and his jaw clenched. When I was a boy, I liked to practice coin tricks in front of a mirror, he said in a voice that was about as warm as a stone. Wren wanted to apologize, to take it back, but Faith was coming out the door, dragging little Virtue behind her. Ready, she called. Good, Wren said as she hitched her life a little higher on her hip. Lock up and let's go. And so they walked through the streets of Waterdeep in the dead of night, the four older children clustered around Brenora, still asking questions, the four middle children dancing around Travok, waving magical coins, and Faith and Wren in the rear, holding tight to the youngest. Are you going to tell me what happened? Faith finally asked. When Wren didn't say anything, she asked, Is Mama okay? She will be, Wren said. What about Honor? Where's he? I... Wren <clears throat> said on a sigh and then said, hold a moment. She set life down and called for Travok. Can you take these two for a moment? She asked, gesturing to virtue and life. I need to talk to Faith. After Travok had taken the children far enough away, Wren turned back to Faith and said, I'm going to tell you some hard, scary things, and then I'm going to ask you to do some hard, unfair things. Faith straightened her shoulders and tried her best to look responsible and trustworthy. The sight broke Wren's heart all over again. Tonight, Wren started, a man came to the house looking for me, and instead he found your mother and honor. Is this the man that, the man that you lived with before you came to live with us? Wren gave the girl a hard look. What do you know about that? I'm just guessing, Faith mumbled, looking at the ground and shuffling her feet. More like you've been listening at the stairs, Wren said, crossing her arms. I'm not the only one, Faith whined. We all take turns, and it wasn't even my idea, it was... Let me guess, Wren interrupted. It was Honor's idea. Faith nodded, and Wren squeezed her eyes shut and started to rub her temples. God save me from eavesdropping children, she muttered. Yes, she said, dropping her hands and looking Faith in the eye. That was the man who came to the house today. He's not a good man. He hurt your mother. Badly. In the dark, all Wren could see was a blurry outline of Faith's body. Still, at this news, Faith's head snapped up, and her whole body went unnaturally still. She's fine, Wren went on, 
as she put a hand on both of Faith's shoulders. She's being looked after by some of the best minds in Waterdeep. She'll be fine, but... Ren paused to take breath before plunging on with the hardest part. He took honor. What? Faith's voice came out shrill and thready. What do you mean he took honor? He took him where? I don't know, Ren said, shaking her head. I don't know how he took him. I don't know where he took him. Right now, all I know is why he took him, and that's because he is a spiteful bastard who thinks this will give him the upper hand. Rin could feel Faith's shoulders starting to shake under her hands, and she gave them a little squeeze and said, Please don't tell your mom I swore in front of you. Faith gave a shaky little laugh and nodded her head as she wiped her nose. That's the scary part, Rin went on. This is the unfair part. I'm going to have to leave. I promise to help these people, she said with a wave of her hand in the direction of Travok and Brenora. And because I promised I'd help them, you and your family are going to get to stay in the safest place in Waterdeep and will have access to the best help for your mom and the best information to help find honor. But it also means I have to leave. And it means you need to be strong, like I know you are. You need to be strong and help your mom as she gets better, and you need to be strong and help take care of the children. And all of you need to be strong and help take care of each other. Okay, Faith said on little breaths that sounded far too much like sobs. Okay, okay, okay. Hey, Rin said, moving her hands from Faith's shoulders to the back of her neck and gave her a gentle little shake. Hey, look at me. She brought her face close to the girls so they were now almost nose to nose and said, I promise you that I will find him and I will bring him home safe or die trying. And when we come home and all this insanity is over, you and your family will never want for anything, be it clothes or books or food or a warm, safe place to sleep. Be strong now, and I'll try to bring us all home a better life, okay? At this, Faith flung her arms around Wren and buried her face in Wren's neck. Don't die, she sobbed. Please, Wren, please, I don't want any more people dying or disappearing. Please, please don't die. I'm not planning on it, kiddo, Wren said as she started to stroke her hair. I'm not planning on it. That conversation seemed years away, instead of just a few hours ago. None of this was fair, Rin thought as she dug the toe of her boot into the ground outside the tavern. It wasn't fair to ask an eleven-year-old girl to be the rock of her family, just because all the adults were either too hurt or too busy to be bothered. It wasn't fair that that same girl had to watch her father die, only to have her brother stolen two years later. It wasn't fair that Nazelle had taken on her at all. He could have just as easily reached out and taken Wren. Why didn't he take Wren? In fact, why did he waste, what was it now, 12, 13 years? Why did he spend so much time looking for her in the first place? He could have trained up a whole new batch of servants by now, all with matching uniforms and with a much better curtsy and much better manners than her. But she knew why he had taken on her. Punishment. He had watched and learned and scrutinized and finally decided the best way to make her feel the full weight of her disobedience. Ren's jaw hurt from clenching it too tightly for too long. 
The tavern seemed dark and faded after the bright light from the outside. Ren walked back over to the table where Varus and Bernora were sitting. Seraphina had gotten up and was now making small talk with one of the locals, and Trevok still seemed to be muddling his way through with the conversation with the drunk at the bar. As she sat at the table, Bernora asked, "'Are you all right?' "'I'm fine,' Ren said in a way that she hoped wasn't too rude, but also hoped would discourage people from asking her how she was. However, not two seconds later, Varus asked, "'How are you feeling?' Rin looked up and gave Varus a glare that had been known to make lesser men weep. But the giant just smiled and said, "'Physically, I mean. Are you going to be well enough for this mission? You took a pretty bad hit.' I'm still a bit sore and my head hurts, Ren said, but I think if I drink some more water and put some more food on my belly, I'll be right as rain, and took another bite of soup. How long can you stay like that? Ren asked, waving a hand at Varus, who, in order to keep a low profile in town, had taken the form of what amounted to Ren if she was a man. It was amusing and unnerving to see her face worn by another, and she kept feeling herself smiling against her will when she looked at him. About 45 more minutes, he said, looking past Ren to where Serafina sat, wearing a pained expression on her face. How's Serafina doing over there? Ren asked. Not good, Varus said, lips twitching with an effort not to smile. The man hasn't uncrossed his arms since they started talking, and keeps leaning farther and farther away and Serafina keeps holding herself tighter and standing straighter the more annoyed she gets. "'How about Trevok?' Ren asked, turning her attention to Bernora. Bernora looked bored and briefly glanced at the bar as she took another pull from her pint, but Ren could see her ears twitching fractionally with the effort it took to listen. "'Even worse,' she said. Two minutes of Trevok trying to work up the nerve to talk to the man, followed by five minutes of confirming that, yes, he is in fact a dwarf, I'm not even sure if the boy knows what questions to be asking. So, who should I go help out? Ren asked. Travok, they both said in unison. Ren smiled to herself and glanced at the young wizard, who was now sending anguished looks over to the table every few seconds. All right, Ren said, but before I go over there, or anywhere else, or do anything, we need to get a few things straight. She leaned forward and began to spin the knife on the table, trying to distract herself so she could say what she needed to say. If someone's going to die, it's probably going to be me. I know I'm the weakest. I'm not a warrior queen. I'm not on speaking terms with any goddess. I'm not a wizard or a wall of barbarian muscle. I'm just me, and I'm very, very mortal. And you are all nice, good people who have been very kind to me and are trying your best. However, you are also... Ren paused, trying to figure out how to phrase this concern. You've also have a lot going on. If I die, I have no way of knowing that honor won't be forgotten, because you have bigger problems to solve. She stopped spinning the knife, laid her hands flat on the table, and looked up into the eyes of her companions, her friends. I know the life of one tiefling boy is nothing when weighed against the fate of the world but I need you to understand that that family is my whole world. And I need to know that they will be taken care of no matter what happens to me. I need to know they won't be forgotten. The two across the table from Ren looked at each other with blank astonishment. Finally, Vara said, Ren, 
we could never forget them or you. We are going to do everything in our power to get Honor back. But we're here, Ren said, teeth clenched, not in anger this time, but in trying to keep back tears. We're here, and they are there, and Honor is... Brenora reached across the table and covered Ren's hand with hers, warm and surprisingly soft for someone who spent so much time in a forge. Maybe after enough time and work, hands are just worn smooth, Ren thought absently to herself. You, your family, and your kingdom will not be forgotten, Brenora said, looking deep into Ren's eyes. Not by me, or my people, and not by any of us in this party. All of you have our loyalty and support. Ren nodded once, sniffed, and then drew her hand away to wipe her nose on the back of her sleeve. Like a child, she thought to herself, you're still behaving like a child. But the thought had no sting in it, no scolding malice. She might be a child, but she was a child who was safe and in the company of friends. All right, she said, blinking her eyes and turning her attention back to the bar, where Travok was looking more and more like a man in a lake who had just remembered that he didn't know how to swim. Let's see if I can go save our wizard. This was probably the second time I realized how vulnerable someone could feel when playing a game like D&D, and it was definitely the first time I realized how unpredictable the game could be for a player. Um, the, the choice the DM made, uh, to have Nizel, Ren's old master, steal honor, uh, that's totally a direction I would have taken the story if I was the one in charge of writing it. Uh, however, you know, I'm, even though you're listening to my stories, my short stories, D&D is a collaborative storytelling game, which means uh, you never have full control of where the story's going to go or what the plot's going to do. And so when Honor was taken, it was a total gut punch for me that stuck around for weeks Um, I realized that I had created these characters that I really did like. I I liked these guys, and I felt uh, strangely responsible for their well-being. And in one evening um, of gameplay, all of a sudden I realized that bad things could happen to these people. Uh, that I had no say in, and I also had no guarantee that uh, everything would be all right in the end, Um, which was an excellent spot for me to be in, an excellent headspace for me to be in, to empathize with Ren in this moment, Um, you know, and that's why I wound up writing the story I did. I knew how badly Rin was hurting in that moment and I I felt like she needed more of a voice and you know her feelings needed to be heard and held in that moment in a way that um, I probably wasn't going to get in a normal gameplay session 
Um, and so that's what this story was about. It was about her being able to process her feelings. And it was also, honestly, about me being able to process mine. It's weird how important these fictional characters, these imaginary people can become to you, but they do become important. And I, I think that's a good thing. 